Yeah, I've realized probably in the past decade, maybe longer, but definitely realized it in the last decade. Uh, what a what a deal breaker rap is for me. It's a deal breaker. And but what I mean by that is something my friend Miles and I talked about years ago is how people have a rap side. You know, we're both guys who have a background in underground music, subversive music, subversive art. And how, you know, knowing some of our peers, they really like to reveal that they have a rap side. I bet you didn't think I was into this. And I've known people like that. Like, I remember I met a girl a few years ago. She was cool. But, uh, you know, she's into all sorts of underground and subversive stuff. But then she knew the lyrics to, like, every current rap song. Every Which I'm not even saying... I'm not telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do. But I just remember it being... I was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Just kind of, just this feeling of aversion. That's my word lately, is aversion. And, uh... Bet you didn't think I was into this. Bet you didn't think I knew this. But it, it's odd because they people, like, they love to, um... Like, something in their personality changes when they reveal their rap side. Their behavior changes. And it's not just like, oh, I like this music. I mean, if, if this was just, just about music, I wouldn't even be saying any of this. If this is just, I mean, like, because obviously there's rap that I think is good. I like Bone Thugs. Although, I mean, they're pretty far beyond rap. I mean, I, I still don't really understand what Bone Thugs are doing. It's like this insane harmonizing combined with rap. But, you know, I like Easy e things like that. And obviously, there's rap that I think is good. That's not the point. It's not about, like, the music being good or anything like that. Because you get some people who are just anti-rap. And I, I hesitate to even talk about this stuff because you come across that way. Like You come across, like, someone who's just like, rap sucks. It's just... Just people talking over samples. And, you know, that's like saying the Beatles suck or something. Like, it's an easy, it's easy to get sucked into that. It's easy to be the guy who's like, you know what, the Beatles actually suck. You know what, rap actually sucks. You know, it's easy to get sucked into that sort of like oppositional defiance. But I think a better take is just... That doesn't make me feel anything at all. The Beatles, they don't make me feel anything at all. Um, rap doesn't make me feel anything at all. I wouldn't be thinking about it if it weren't for you. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, like you know, it's not even about the music or someone. If it was just about someone who simply likes music or simply likes the music, that's something else entirely. And that's kind of how rap felt for a long time. But it took a, a turn because I mean, like, I've said this on here before, but when rap became the music of my age group, you know, and it was around, uh, I would say, around like 1998. Like, my sister graduated high school in 1997, 
And outside of a, a few jocks and things like that, you know, you didn't really have white people making rap a, a part of their identity, not not on a popular level. Yeah, there were white people into rap, but it wasn't it wasn't the music of that age group. Gen X had a much different relationship to rap than the millennials. Gen X had a much different relationship to rap. They did, though, and even my generation did, and it was around 1998 where just suddenly that was the music. Everybody was just listening to that all the time. That's what was popular. People started to form their identities of it. Like, and, and that's around the time that the Wigger phenomenon really spawned. You know, I've, I've discussed Wiggers in depth on here. I've, I've discussed Wiggers more deeply and analytically than anybody else in the world. And I, I actually believe that. You know, I, I, I try to be humble, but I don't believe that anybody has dissected Wiggers to the extent that I have on this show. I'm willing to say that I'm the primary dissector of Wiggers in the world. But the Wigger phenomenon, like, it really spawned out of that moment. 1997 didn't have many Wiggers. You really didn't see them. I'm sure they existed. Didn't see many Wiggers in 1997. 1998, that was when the shift happened. They got, you know, spawned out like goblins. And they kind of are. You know, Wiggers kind of were a form of goblin. Wiggers were a form of goblin. But it's, it's almost like the way um, Soromon creates Uruk High in Lord of the Rings. They're just spawned. They're generated. It's like Wiggers got generated. A frequency changed and Wiggers appeared. I was around 1998. But, you know, a lot of the, the criticism of rap at that time, like throughout the 90s was like, and into the 2000s was kind of, gangster rap was big, and I that's the, the rap I like. Like, if I had to say I like any rap, it's always been, you know, older gangster rap, I think is the best. Revealing my rap side here. But, uh, you know, the criticism was like, oh, it, it promotes violence. It's like the same criticism you know, as they had against, like, metal or anything, where it's like, it promotes violence, except more, like, more immediate violence, where it's like, oh, it, uh, it encourages, like, young black men to kill each other. Oh, it's misogynistic and violent. And that was always the wrong criticism. Like, you know, that, that was not what was wrong with rap that was not what people should have been focusing on like evangelical conservatives that whole moment in time you know they were like oh gangster rap you know it promotes evil essentially and really rallied against it on that on those grounds but it's like that's not what was wrong with it um, what was wrong with it wasn't in the immediate like listening to rap in the 90s nothing wrong with that you find out someone blasted rap, it was kind of cool even. 
what was concerning about rap is like the long-term impact and what I was going to get out a minute ago, it, it was like that when it shifted in 1998, I didn't think that would last forever. When suddenly all my peers were really into rap all the time, and I, I used to listen to a lot of rap around that time, 98, 99. But, you know, the second my generation decided rap was it, okay. You know, every generation gets into something and then it kind of fades. But I didn't think rap was going to be it forever. And we did hit sort of a, a cultural loop at that time where like, you know, by the mid 2000s, late 2000s, organic culture just started to subside. And we just kind of got into this endless looping, this infinity. Where there, there are fewer pivotal moments and movements. Those sort of shifts stopped happening. Like talking about how like things shifted toward rap, the shifts just stopped happening. And so as a result, we stayed in rap mode forever. And I just didn't expect that. Oh, you know, it, you know, 30 years have gone by, 25 years, and we're still stuck in this mode. It's like, oh, I put it on that setting I put the machine on that setting and the machine broke so now it's stuck on that setting forever. And so it's like the the long-term impact of that you know what it's done the brain disease that it's created the rap sides that it's created. And it's not just like the people who are kind of like I don't know, there's just, I've been, I've experienced this so many times, like someone who hasn't experienced this probably thinks I sound crazy or I'm making this up, but I've experienced it so many times where like I would go to a party with people who are into stuff, like people who are into art, people who are into interesting things, music, and everyone's rap side just emerges at the party. You know, it's, it's just a bunch of intelligent white kids. And the rap side just comes out. And, like, you expect that from kind of, like, the popular crowd. Like, really normal kids go to a party and, of course, they blast rap and act that way. But seeing it come out of people who shouldn't be acting that way and shouldn't be into that. I've experienced that so many times. And uh, I remember some people who were, in, I knew some interesting people who got really into, um, there was that Southern rap that became popular, I don't know, it must have been at least 15 years ago. I don't even know what it was, like I don't even know what it was like, but it, it was stuff like Paul Wall, all that stuff. And they got really into that and like made it a part of their personality. But there were people who were involved in like noise music. And I remember seeing it emerge even there. You know, I used to be pretty involved in noise music. And uh, a lot of rap sides came out of that.
I've known a lot of people who are into metal and, and they like to show their rap side. But they also like kind of make it like a like a persona. I think that's that's the thing, is it becomes almost like this persona that people have. And to me it always kind of felt like probably like the same way it felt to like see a guy in a leisure suit in the 70s. Like you go to a party in the 1970s and a guy shows up wearing a leisure suit who has never worn a leisure suit before, but he's like, hey, I'm, I'm with it. Hey, everybody, I'm with it. Look, I got a stupid looking fucking leisure suit. I got sideburns. Anybody got some cocaine? Because that's what we do, right? Um, but yeah, and like just seeing that persist. And what's funny is, is you know, because something everybody heard a lot back then was, you know, like, oh, white guy shouldn't rap. Oh, he's a white rapper. Oh, white rap. White guy shouldn't rap. Remember this girl I went to junior high with? Her name was Sarah. I remember talking to her once and her, like, trying to explain to me, like, oh, you know, like, white guys shouldn't rap because... Daddy, don't bite my foot. She's like, white guys shouldn't rap because it's a way for black boys from the ghetto to, like, get out of the ghetto and express themselves. Um... Who knows what she's doing now? But I remember her like explaining that to me. So there was this idea, there was like this the stigma about white rappers, and Eminem really paraded that around. Like they said I couldn't rap because you know, they said they said I couldn't be just a white rapper. But look at me now. They said I couldn't rap because I'm white. But look at me now. You know that he made that kind of part of his his shtick. And. Uh, but the one that, like, I don't think people were quite as aware of, maybe they were, is the idea that, like, if you're white, you shouldn't even listen to rap. That was promoted. Or if you were white and listened to rap, like, you got made fun of, like, oh, you think you're hard. A good example of that is the movie Office Space, which I love. You know, I'm a big Mike Judge fan, but I love the movie Office Space. But, you know, the scene in the beginning where the Michael Bolton character, the nerd, is in his car blasting rap. And that's a funny scene. Like, he's blasting gangster rap. And at that time, like, whenever Office Space came out, probably late 90s, the joke of, like, a nerdy white guy listening to gangster rap and singing along, like, that was novel. That was it. That later got beaten to death. Like, it feels like every movie after that invoked that in some way like oh wouldn't it be funny if like a a nerdy white guy was really into rap really into gangster rap and it was in like napoleon dynamite where like the nerdy older brother you know meets a black woman like a ghetto black woman on the internet and you know starts dating her and then at the end of the movie he's wearing a do-rag and and again that's kind of funny like i think that i'm not even saying this isn't funny you know, I'm not saying this isn't, wasn't, like, worth doing or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, it became this trope, and it became, like, 
almost like something that had to be in pop culture all the time like nerdy white guy who, who like is into gangster rap but yeah, the end of Napoleon Dynamite where like the older brother's like wearing a do-rag and he's talking like a thug, which I, I remember thinking that was kind of funny. I saw Napoleon Dynamite like way after the fact. I protested it. I, I refused to see it for a long time. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, it wasn't, wasn't as bad as I thought. It wasn't what I thought. But yeah, like the Michael Bolton in Office Space, like that might be one of the earliest. And, you know, it would be Mike Judge or someone who would... <clears throat> hit on that before everybody else but that might be one of the earliest the michael bolton character and that's funny like he's he's like singing along to gangster rap and then he, like, he sees a black guy like walking down the street so he rolls up his window but even outside of movies and pop culture and those sort of tropes if you were a white guy listening to rap people would be like oh he thinks he's tough Why'd you listen to that? Like, you can't relate to that. And it's funny because, like, the implication is that if you're black listening to gangster rap, that you can immediately relate to it. Like, oh, nerdy white. Oh, if you're white listening to rap, like, oh, you can't relate to that. Why you listen to that? You can't relate to that. But it's like, it, the implication is that, like, all black guys are thugs. Like, oh, they can listen to it. They understand it. Oh yeah, that, that black kid from the suburb. Oh, he understands. He understands this ghetto music. Just funny in that way. But it was there was this idea though that you shouldn't even listen to it. And it wasn't coming from this. You know, it wasn't coming from like a because uh, the white supremacist sort of take on that is like, don't listen to rap because it's black people music. And you can't possibly condone or support any kind of black people music. But interestingly, it wasn't coming from that place. It was liberals. It was kind of a liberal view where it's like, you shouldn't listen to that because you can't relate and you can't relate to it and appreciate it um, or understand it. And you're mocking it. But, you know, very quickly, you know, that kind of went away as rap became the music of liberals worldwide at least nationally i don't know about worldwide <laughs> probably yeah, i mean it did become worldwide worldwide um that kind of went away but there was an attitude and, and it wasn't coming from an anti-black place it was coming from like a pro-black place which is like white people shouldn't listen to that and you know some black people promoted that as well like white people shouldn't listen to our music um, but that yeah, went away and um, what ended up happening though is just like all sorts of white people including artistic and underground people and you know I use underground very generally I just mean like people who are into like independent underground things like they started talking in rap slang they started quoting rap lyrics and that was just a bad turn all around. That was a, just a bad direction. Not only have we not recovered from that, like we've doubled down. And I, I'm, I don't say we, because I'm, I'm not included in that. I will not include myself in that. But not only did they go that route, but they doubled down on it. 
And you saw that with social media too, where like the number of people who just like post rap lyrics. And so much of it too, you realize like so much of that music, the content is like, everybody's trying to stop me because I'm the best. You know, like anybody who isn't just encouraging me all the time is a hater and the haters, uh, you know, suck and will never catch up to me because I'm the best. And then people who just kind of want a little uh, a little dose of empowerment for the day, like will listen to those lyrics and be like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, and just like, you know, the, the content of that is just very bad too. That is a negative effect on people. I'm the best. Everybody who doesn't think I'm the best is trying to cut me down. But they're going to see that I'm the best. Just a bad... A bad uh, mantra to have in your head. Now, we, we haven't... We'll, we'll probably never see the... Reco- we'll never see culture recover from that in my lifetime. The damage is permanent. And that that applies to everything I'm talking about. The damage is permanent. It's like it's like brain damage. Like I said earlier, it's like a brain disease. It's permanent brain damage. It's permanent cultural brain damage. Um, and we will never see a recovery. We might see new things happen. Like we might see people go in a different direction and things. But it's like that part of culture, permanent brain damage. We will never see that recover. Millennials will never recover. Zoomers will never recover. Maybe younger generations will go in a different direction and create something different, a different, you know, cultural zeitgeist, as some people might put it. But the the people we know never recover. And... Uh, but yeah, it's a, I started this out saying it's a kind of a deal breaker for me. Like when someone's too into rap and too into rap in that way. I still, I might still like them. I mean, I have friends like this. This isn't an indictment of anybody as a person. It doesn't mean I don't like them. But like there will be a part of myself that is closed off to that person forever. Somebody reveals their rap side it means like there is a door between us that will be shut forever. Fortunately, it's not the only door, but there is a door that is fucking closed. It is nailed shut. We will never fully relate. We will never see the world the same way. Because I like rap. Not just that. There's a lot more to it than that. And you know, even though I said like rap became like the the liberal music, I mean, you see it with conservatives as well. You know, you see it with, um, I mean, if you drive through a small town these days, like you'll see some like fucked up redneck kid just blasting rap. You know, the people who are considered, you know, backwoods racists listen to rap all the time, all day. And there's no hypocrisy to it. It's just that's the mental level they're on. 
And it says something about rap that it appeals to those people too. Like the fact that like backwoods, bigoted like drug addicts in tiny towns like drive around in their shitty trucks listening to rap. It doesn't just say something about them. It says something about rap. You know, it says something about the level that it's on. And I don't even think there's any cognitive dissonance to that. I just think it exists on that level. But, um, you know, obviously there's plenty of good things I could say about rap. Like, again, this isn't about the music or the quote-unquote art. This isn't about just rap on its own. This is about, like, the cultural impact. Like, this is about, like, the brain disease that it infected younger white people with. That's what this is about. Um, and, uh, you know, all this, it, it makes me sound like a very unfun person, which I am. But it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, like, I couldn't, at this point in my life, like, I couldn't spend time with a girl or a woman who was too into rap. I mean, I think most girls are going to be into it, but it's like a girl who just, like, listens to a lot of rap. No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, what else? I feel like I have, I have so much to say about this. I don't even know where to go with it. I don't think there's a way to really put it into words, though. I think you either know it or you don't. Because it was Miles who first used the phrase rap side to me. I knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, as is the case with, you know, certain friends of mine... They can put something to words that I hadn't put to words with, but it's something I felt. And I immediately know what they're talking about. And I remember talking to Miles years ago, and he was just like, you know, it's like, I hate when people have a rap side. I hate when people, like, show you their rap side. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'd like to think that someone... If anybody's still out there, I'd like to imagine that like someone listening to this knows too. I'd like to think that there's a, another person out there aside from me and one of my friends who knows exactly what I'm talking about. And um, rap music is something that people inflict on other people. They do it deliberately. They use it as a weapon. Like, hence people blasting it in their cars when the subwoofer phenomenon was big. I don't know if that's as big anymore. I don't hear them as much, which I hadn't thought about. I hadn't thought about the fact. Like, you do hear people blasting rap, but you really don't hear the subwoofers much anymore. But people got those subwoofers just so that the bass, this throb, this just 
incredibly loud throb that will shake your house when they drive by. It's like, as I said before, it's a war drum. It's, a, it's an act of aggression. Like, when a young man, like, put a subwoofer in his car so he could blast rap and force everyone, not even to hear the music, just to hear that beat, that throb, it's an act of aggression. Like, it says something about his attitude or what he's trying to put across, or she. Something really insanely unattractive is when young white girls, like, in their teens or 20s, do that. Like a young white girl blasting rap is absolutely disgusting. But they're usually trying to like put across an air. I mean, that's kind of true anytime someone blasts music. You know, it's not about just listening to it. Yeah, playing it loud sometimes is part of the listening experience. But when someone like blasts music in their car, it's about ex it's about exposing other people to it. It's about other people. It's not about them. And uh, when a guy like puts the subwoofer in his car and just blasts that, like he's signaling something. You know, even if it's even if he's not like behaving aggressively it's an aggressive act and that's why there have been so many problems over it like there was that situation a few years ago where some people were blasting rap at a gas station and like some old guy was like turn that down and i think they something happened where he ended up shooting them like it turned into a confrontation and the end result was he shot them but it's like it wasn't just that they were playing loud music, it was that like he perceived something aggressive in that. And obviously this guy was aggressive, but still like he perceived he heard the war drum. And uh I don't know. I mean like we've been living in that too. Like you leave the house and you're exposed to it. Like I didn't think like like Going back to what I was saying a minute ago, like in 1998, not only did I not think this would never end, I didn't think, oh, rap's getting big, but this is never going to end. Not only did I not realize that, but I also didn't realize that I'd be exposed to it nonstop for the next 25 years. I didn't think that I would have to hear it every time I'm stuck in traffic. I didn't think that everybody would just be constantly playing it all the time. And uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm not a miserable person. I'm not an unhappy person. Like, I, I enjoy life more than I ever have. Like, life is just a, spect a spectacle. I, I fucking love it. But part of what I love is this too. Part of what I love, like like me pointing this out, I'm actually glad it's this way. That's true for a lot of the things that I criticize or a lot of the things that I rant about. It's just like I actually like that it's this way because it makes me feel this way, which is fun. Like I consider ranting really fun. And... Uh, <laughs> it's whoops I yeah I consider ranting really fun like anything that makes me want to go on a rant I'm like more this is joy there's something ecstatic about that you know
ecstatic. Um, so I wouldn't change it. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, realistically, I would. Like, if I, if given a choice, I'd be like, yeah, we'll just stop this. Let's just stop this. But it's kind of like when Russia banned emo. I don't remember what the details were of that, but, and this wasn't even that long ago. I feel like it was in, within the last decade. But the Russian government was like, oh yeah, you know, we're banning emo. Young, young men cannot be emo. You don't hear the term emo anymore. It's a word I don't like to use. But uh, the Russian government was just like, this is bad. We can't let this happen. That's how I feel about this stuff. It's like, oh, this, is, this is bad. Like the government just, as much as I don't like the government to intervene in anything, the government should have just stepped in for once and been like, this is bad. This is having this is the impact this is gonna have. No. It's like how the Chinese government What are you doing, Batty? It's like how the Chinese government um you know, like banned effeminate men in uh they banned effeminate men from movies or something, like in China now, it's like you, you can't be exposed to effeminate men. It's like sometimes the government steps in and is like, no, none of this. Like they could have done that with rap. Not ban people from listening to it, but just like tried to stop the influence it was going to have. And it became too like, like before I quit high school football, I went to like the summer training and then I was just like, I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm getting too into other stuff. I have other things I want to do. But I remember being in the locker room and like the seniors, who all were just terrifying. I remember they, they had made like some sort of CD mix of like pump up music before practice. And it had like Ozzy Osbourne Crazy Train, which like, it was just like the shit they play in stadiums. like. Football games, they'll play like the intro to Crazy Train. I can't even do it, but uh, you know, Crazy Train. Um, but yeah, like the the intro to Crazy Train, like this other pump pump up music, and these guys were all really into rap. But it was interesting because like their pump up music at that time was just kind of like hard rock, and then. Uh, now though it's like you'll see like footage like I watch you know football and it'll show the players like getting to the stadium and they're like carrying their bags and they they all have like Beats by Dre headphones on and you're like oh they're all listening to rap they're all listening to rap like their pump up music is rap and you know what obviously it's magical but that's kind of my point is there is a spell like obviously there is a spell to listening to that and it and you know obviously it has an effect on some people like like a football player can listen to rap and just be like oh yeah i'm the best nobody understands that i'm the best that makes them haters and they're gonna find out when they drink my backwash that i'm the best you know it's a lot of rap and that gets people pumped up. 
That's why people would like post those sort of lyrics. You know those lyrics. That's a real song. I'm the best. Nobody realizes I'm the best. That makes some haters. And I'm the best. Um, so my favorite song right there. But, the, you know, people get into that because they're like, they're like, I'm the best. I'm going to go to the gym and work out to that song called I'm the best. Everybody who doesn't realize that it's a retarded hater. And they're going to find out when they drink my backwash that I'm the best. That's the content of it, though. Jokes aside, that's that's the message. And I'm not even an exaggeration. Like, that's literally the message to so much of it. And you saw this, too, like, you know, during the era of, like, bling... You know, where it was just, you know, and they still do this, I imagine. But, you know, for a while there, it became like about just bragging about wealth and jewels. I got, I'm the best. I got all the jewels. People are jealous of my money because I got all the jewels. You know, that rap, that genre of rap. And that got like this, that, that was like the next stupid fucking normie criticism of rap. Like... In the 90s, it was like, gangster rap isn't good because it's like encouraging more drive-by shootings. The next like bad conservative normie take on it was, oh, it's like all about just bragging about jewels and like promoting greed and, and like bragging about wealth. Like it's not good. And yeah, it's not. But it, it, that was the wrong criticism. What was wrong with it is that it resulted in like in just normal white kids as well as like artsy kids being like talking that way. As, and it was always kind of like a joke because I mean I saw this develop where you would see people like kind of similar to like the Michael Bolton in Office Space thing. You would see um, white kids kind of like as a parody talk like rappers or invoke rap themes. But then they started doing it all the time. It's like anything that starts as a joke and becomes a reality. Like that almost happened to me. Not like the full on rap thing, but I've told this story on here before where like when my friends and I got really into smoking weed in high school and weed is a gateway to all this. Weed is a gateway to all this. But when my friends and I got really into smoking weed, you know, the term tight had become popular a few years earlier. And we never, you know, my friends and I, like, we, we've always been linguistic conservatives. I don't know how or why, but, like, no matter who my friends were at any time, none of us are quick to adopt new slang or language. And we reject the new language. So, like, when, when you know, we all said cool. The term cool never stopped being cool. But a bunch of our peers started saying, tight, oh, that's tight. That's tight. Start with the Wiggers. I mean, I, I have no doubt it was probably taken from black people. Like, you know, uh, like it's funny because people are always like, oh, they take everything from black people. People just take everything from black people. Not me. Yeah, a bunch of people do. Not me. 
but I'm sure tight was taken from black people. But like just, you know, wiggers and stoners and lions and tigers and bears like started going around saying like, oh, that's tight. Dude, that's tight. And my friends and I would make fun of it. You know, we would use it as, as a parody. We'd be like, that's tight. But we started smoking weed. And I remember like, you know, maybe once or twice we thought it was funny to say things were tight. But being stoned, it started to make sense. Like at some point, one of us was like, no, no, dude, that, that actually is tight. And for just a brief time, like, you know, I remember we would just say tight. That's tight. But it stopped. We caught ourselves. We never even acknowledged it. We never discussed it, but we all just stopped. But that we could have kept going. We could have said tight forever. That's tight. Oh, dude, that's fucking tight. Oh, it's tight. That's fucking tight. Um, but it, we easily could have. You can see where it happens. Where I don't know. Like I had a boss. He was the CEO of the company. He was Gen X, kind of a former hippie. And uh, he heard this Chris Brown song. I don't know how he heard it, but it's this Chris Brown song where he's like, I'm getting paper. And I remember he started going around saying that. He's like, I'm getting paper. And I, I knew a lot of other people who, who started doing that as well. Like, yo, getting that paper today. I got my Benz and my Rolex, you know. People started to talk that way. Like, even people who had no wealth. Artsy kids. Just started to talk like rappers all the time. And this is around the same time, like, because, you know, the internet was really just taking over around the same time. And you saw it, too, with, like, people using, like, black people GIFs. That became really big. Black people reaction videos. Like like one of the first, maybe not one of the first, but it, just a huge phenomenon on YouTube for a while was like black people reacting to things. It's like black guy hears Pink Floyd for the first time and his eyes get real big and he's like, oh. And uh, black people reaction gifs, gifs. Black people reaction gif gifs. That got really big. And then it was funny to see the lib backlash on that where in the last few years, like this dialogue started to happen where people are like, it's actually a new form of blackface if you're white and you use black people reaction gifs. Because, you know, black people reactions, the way they're used in this way, is like they're, they're over-exaggerated. They're a performance. Black guy hears Pink Floyd for the first time. His eyes get really big and his mouth, his jaw just opens up. His jaw drops open. And it's like, it's not a natural reaction. You know, like, like a black guy hearing Pink Floyd for the first time and making a crazy face. That's not a natural reaction. 
but white people are like, oh, look, here I am doing the, like, white people be like. But no, really, like, like white people who watching that, white people using, like, black reaction GIFs, GIF GIFs, they're like, uh, what was I going to say about that? They're, they're into the exaggeration of it all. Like, oh my God, look at him react to that. Oh my God, that defines like what I feel. Like someone says something and someone responds with like a, a, a GIF GIF of like a black woman like smirking in this smug way. And it's like, oh, that, that's what I'm trying to put across. They used them like emojis. This is, this is the feeling that I'm putting across. And you, you you can't like back off from that. Like that just, it just spirals from there. But I do like that there was kind of this lib backlash where like the same people who were using that shit started like hating each other for using that shit. Like that's that's the best thing to watch. It's when like liberals start attacking themselves about something that only they did. Kind of like summer 2020 where it's still amazing to me. It was so fun to watch all the, these liberals be like, you know, like, I am racist. I've always been racist and there's nothing I can do about it, but I must atone for my sins. But you actually had like just liberal white girls being like, I'm coming out publicly just letting you know that I'm racist and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm always going to be racist, but I just have to do the work and get through it. And I'm just like, this is so fun. Like the, the people who, you know, <laughs> the, the people who, you know, have turned racism into what it is. Like, if you take that out of context, the idea of just these white liberals coming out being like, I am racist. Just so much fun to, to see that. We're not seeing it anymore. Like, because they, they drop these things so quickly. Like, you know, I'll never, ever forget the hysteria of that. I will never, ever forget what I saw come out of people. Summer 2020. People I know. I mean, I got invited to this Facebook group and it happened like instantly. It was like right after, like right when the the Floyd riot started, the, re the reaction and response was so urgent. Like this woman, like this 40-something-year-old woman that I had worked with who like, honestly, one of the nicest people I've ever met, just a sweet woman truly sweet nice woman that i had worked with but you know i wasn't working with her anymore but i had years earlier like she invited me to this facebook group and she never cared about any of that shit like i remember she used to like you know quietly be like that's gay like she was not she was really kind she was a very kind woman but she wasn't very politically correct i think she was from a small town somewhere around here so she really wasn't up to date but that affected her, you know, which tells you something like that whole the Floyd riots and summer 2020, like react it, it uh, impacted her so much that like she invited me to this Facebook group that was like 
just a bunch of white women being like, I am racist and like, here are some resources to learn about slavery. And like, we all have to like talk about this. And I refused, I didn't join, of course. Like, I didn't accept the invitation. But she kept inviting me. Like, I kept declining the invitation, and she kept sending me the invitation over and over again. And there was this idea that, like, if you don't, it was like, come to church. If you don't go to, if you don't come to church right now, you're going to go to hell. That was the feeling. And I was like, this is amazing. Amazing. It's amazing. And uh, I remember like, like looking at the group though. And then like some people who were like ahead of the curve a little bit would come in and be like, yeah, I've already been through this. Like there was this uh, trans girl that we had worked with and she joined the group. I remember and was like, she was already obviously way ahead of the curve about anti-racist resources and stuff and she was like schooling everybody like yeah it was like very patronizing like yes like you're learning that you're inherently racist and uh, are gonna have to do the work for the rest of your life and here's what you can do about it here's here I went through that too here are some things to read it was funny though because like she she she'd already been through it I guess But yeah, that just the urgency of it was amazing to me. Like people who had never talked about this stuff before, never cared. Like never cared what your status was on the work. Ne they never thought like, I wonder where Eric's at as far as um, the work goes. How far along is he? But all of a sudden it was like, you got to come to this group and read this. Here's this article about like what really happened in the, you know, the post-Civil War South. You gotta read this. Didn't you know about this? Like I, I took a fucking quarter long program in college about the Civil War. And then I took an, one after that about the post-Civil War years, years. I'm familiar. But uh, it was just like, how come I never... Because you saw people too around that time. Of course, like a, a discussion of rap just turned into this. <laughs> but I... <laughs> what was I even going to say? Um, but the thing is, it would. Of course it does. That shouldn't be a surprise. But what was I going to say? Um, I don't know. I was going to say something. I don't know it's just it's amazing and I, I wouldn't ask for anything else that's always my thing like I might be ranting and raving but I wouldn't ask for anything else this is great this is the greatest show on earth it really is you know that's how I feel like things people do things that I don't like or that confound me and I'm just like man this is this is the best show I get to observe this crazy shit. I get to think about this crazy shit. This is the best show on earth.
What, what was I hoping for? Utopia? What was I hoping for? The world to be perfect? People to be perfect? Hell no. I get to watch th this, people just go through this maze, this psychological maze. And I'm in my own, but it's not this one. I'm in a psychological maze, but it, it's not this one. Um, but then, you know, how, how quickly, like, people abandoned that. It was like a study group. Like, here, here are the resources to read about how racist America was and is. You must read one every day and report back and do like a book report. And let us know like how you're moving along in the anti-racist work. Like people were doing that and then now they're not. What was that chick's name who wrote a... Uh, Batty, do you know? That chick who wrote... Um, I don't, I don't even know what the book was called or her name. But there was this lady and like everybody was reading her book in summer 2020 and the rest of that year. Like workplaces were assigning that book to people. No joke. They were like, everybody needs to read this book. Everybody needs to read this book. And then just, yeah, it was like the Amazon bestseller at the time. And it, it was just like, it was about how like all white people are racist no matter what. Which is just funny, like that message where it's like, you're just racist no matter what. And you've been doing all of these things that have resulted in the worst possible outcomes for black people without even knowing it. And there's nothing you can do about it except read stuff like this. And call yourself racist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't even know what to say. People were, um, I guess what I was going to say is like, it's funny like that, that stuff like that, like didn't consider the alternative which is that some people might be exposed to that and be like, oh, I'm racist no matter what and there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, cool. I'm not going to do the work. I think, uh, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. I'm just going to be racist now. I'm not going to be racist now. Like, there's, there's a certain sort of person who I, I think, like, whether they consciously think that or not, like, that's going to be their response. It's just like, oh, I'm racist and I can't do anything about it. Except read crap like this. Like, okay, I'm just going to be racist. Because that is some of the reactionary response. Like, some of the current reactionary views aren't even, they don't even really have hardcore principles. It's just kind of like, oh, you're, you're telling me I'm this? Okay, well, I'm just going to be that. It's not even like, it's not even informed by some kind of principle or experience or anything. It's just, just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to become the thing you're accusing me of or you're screaming at me about. But yeah, um, I guess going back to rap music. 
what probably started this whole tangent, if you can even call it that, this turned into a whole other discussion, is uh, the idea of like, oh, you know, you can't, if you're white, you can't listen to music, and if you do, it's kind of a parody. It's kind of like, it's satire. That's kind of how it was used. Like, white people listening to rap, satire. White guy pretending to be black, satire. Like, I watched... Uh, few months ago I watched I think it was I know what you did last summer too I think it was that it mu yeah it must have been I know what you did last summer too which I hadn't seen and it's probably from the late 90s it's probably from around the same time as office space but Jack Black plays kind of a wigger but he has dreadlocks like he's like an island wigger because they go to some resort and Jack Black is there and he wants to be black, but like the wigger archetype hadn't really been created. So just the idea of like Jack Black with dreadlocks pretending to be black was the equivalent. And the jokes were so bad. Like the satire was so bad. There was no subtlety to it. It was just stupid and, you know, it was stupidly blunt. And that would probably be another early one. Like, I'm trying to think, you know, beyond Office Space having the Michael Bolton nerd character, like, sing along to gangster rap and it's funny. I'm trying to think, like, of another movie from that era where the joke was, like, a white guy pretending to be black. Like, I wonder, when, when was the first instance of that in a movie or TV show? I remember Jamie Foxx playing a character like that, but I don't remember when exactly it was. I feel like that would have been after this. But yeah, there's, I definitely have a visual of Jamie Foxx wearing a visor because they really latched onto visors. Like if you were to portray a wigger in media, a parody of a wigger, you'd, you'd put a visor on them. A good example of that was one of the most popular songs at the time was Offspring, Pretty Fly for a White Guy. And the whole premise of that song is this. You know, the whole premise of Pretty Fly for a White Guy, as you expect, is, um, you know, just like a white guy trying to be black or a white guy trying to be hip because the definition of being hip at that time by that time was just black things what's hip oh whatever black people have been doing pretty fly for a white guy but the music video had the the main guy dexter is his name dexter holland from the offspring it had him playing a wigger and i think he was in like a sideways or an upside down visor and baggy clothes and a jersey and like the music video was just him acting like a doofus because the wigger was a clown and they did look like even like the serious wiggers who who could some of them were really scary and intimidating like there was a wigger in my junior high a couple years older than me and he had a bowl cut and dressed like a wigger like like a bowl cut parted directly down the middle and he dressed like a wigger and acted like a wigger and he's like some fucked up evil clown. Because they wore all sorts of colors, like clashing colors. Like, yeah, there were wiggers who it's like, 
if he's going to wear his yellow jersey, he's going to wear matching yellow shoes. But other Uyghurs, they were like just wearing like just tons of clashing bright colors. Like it didn't make a difference. You wear like a bright red football jersey with like green shoes and like, you know, like a, uh, a yellow visor. It was very colorful. And so kind of like very clown-like, like the baggy clothes, very clown-like, the weird way of talking. I would almost call it eccentric if I didn't know the context. You know, like if I, if I you know, came from another planet and I just saw Wiggers at the time and didn't know the context, I would be like, oh, this is, this guy's eccentric. There's a kid in this class who talks very strangely, different from everybody else, has weird words for everything, dresses like a weird clown, wears a lot of jewelry. Yeah, I'd be like, this guy's eccentric. But because we saw Uyghurs develop and we know like where they came from and what they were doing, it doesn't seem weird or eccentric, but it was very weird. It's very weird behavior. And the fact that kids you knew your whole life could just become one overnight. Like I talked about my friend Andre on an episode recently, the kid, just trouble. He's now like a like a just a convicted felon. He's deranged. But he was into skateboarding and like a little bit of punk and things like that. His older brother was into that. And then we hit about age 15 and he just became a wigger overnight. Like he started smoking weed. Cause as I said, weed is kind of a gateway to all this. I don't know if it's a gateway, but it at least goes hand in hand. You know, whether you're like an artsy white girl living in an apartment in the city, being like, yo, let's smoke a blunt and listen to, you know, young Jizzy. You know, whether you're that or whether you're a wigger, it's like weed just goes, it's hard to tell if it's a gateway because it just goes hand in hand with all this, obviously. But uh, the wigger, um, the wigger. It just it, it, my friend Andre, like yeah, he started smoking weed more, and then he just became a wigger overnight. It was truly just overnight. There wasn't even a transition. It wasn't like, oh, I'm starting to see like little. It's not like. Uh, a werewolf where it's like I'm starting to see hairs on his arms that oh, his, his arm his hands are getting hairy I'm starting to see whiskers huh was he just howling at the moon a second ago it wasn't there was no transition it was just you were a wigger overnight like there was no halfway point to becoming a wigger there was no oh he's become he's, he's developing into one it was just zero to wigger very quickly. And that happened to Andre. And with him, I think, you know, I discussed him on another episode, but with him, I think that he, uh, one, his name is Andre. An Irish kid named Andre. Of course he's going to become a wigger. 
But with him, you know, I think it was just that he saw that as like the path to criminality. Like by that, by the age 15, I think he was just like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to be a criminal. And so it made sense to just become a wigger. But it, it just happened so quickly. It was like a switch got flicked. Just like, you know, now he's a wigger. Now he's a wigger. Now he's a wigger. Now he's a wigger. And uh, I don't know, whereas like with just the influence of rap culture and slang and this sort of fake persona that people take on and still take on, that was more gradual though. Like the artsy kids who listened to crunk music. Like I remember years ago when Miles lived here, this is like 2005, 2006 probably. It's probably around, yeah, probably around 2005 or 2006. Uh, Miles was living in this house here and there was this girl who lived on the same property. Like it was two houses on the same property and they both rented. And there was this girl who was like very involved in like the K record scene all of the local indie institutions. Like she was very involved with that. And I think her music was like some kind of lo-fi pop or something. But we smoked weed with her once and it was a nightmare. It was like, it was traumatic. Cause like we, we neither of us had been able to find weed for a very long time. It had been like, probably two months since we had been able to find weed and she offered to smoke weed with us. And so she came over to his house and just smoked a little weed. And the second we all got high, like she started like calling her indie friends and being like, crunk's not dead. And like talking about this like crunk stuff, like talking that way. She started, like, her rap side just immediately came out, and she was just, like, dropping a bunch of slang and, you know, talking about crunk. And then Miles put on this uh, CD he got that was, it was, like, a recording of insects in Asia. But the sound of them was just, like, it sounded like an electronic buzz. It was like this field recording of insects in Asia and like the result like sounded just what you're listening to on the CD just sounded like an electronic buzz. And he, he put that on just because I don't think he knew what else to do. And she was like, what, what are we, what the fuck are we listening to? Like she interrupted her crunk's not dead shit to be like, what the fuck? Why would you put this on? Like she freaked out. She freaked out about this insect music, which I can kind of understand. Made things a little more weird. But what else was he going to do? You know, what else was Miles going to do? Put that on, he put that on. But she freaked out. And then I remember she was kind of freaking out about like what was around the house too. Like she was freaking out. Like he had this plastic crab. It was just like a, I don't know if you call it a toy or just a decoration, but it was just this like 
life-size plastic crab. It was like the same size as a real crab, but it was just plastic. And I remember like she was like, there's a fucking crab. Like, what the fuck is that? And then she left. And I remember like we put on some metal or something that we were into just to try to clear the air. But I remember we both just sat there just practically shaking. We were just like, that was so fucked up. Like, we were so excited to get high for the first time in a while. And she also, because she just borrowed his four-track, too. She had uh, borrowed Miles' four-track. And we heard her on the phone. Because, like, she went in the other room and was, like, talking to a friend on the phone, like, saying, like, Crunk's not dead. She was literally, she literally said that. Crunk's not dead. And, like, she was dropping all this rap-sided slang. But then she, like, called her friend and was talking to her friend. Her friend in the room was like, yeah, I borrowed this kid's four-track. And it's like, who are you calling a kid? We both felt it was... The way she was talking about getting this four-track was really disrespectful. And I remember Miles was really upset. He's like, I, I want my four-track back. Cause like she called her friend, and was like, "You should come over." Like I got this, I, I borrowed this kid's four track. Let's record something. And we were both like, "No." Your 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 language is very. Everything you're doing is very disrespectful right now. And sh and the next morning, Miles went o went over to her door and knocked on the door and said, "Like I want my four track back. I want give me my four track back." He just took it back. But then we later found out that like she she had like a meltdown after that. Like she she didn't recover from that. Like we felt fucked up for like an hour afterward. We were just like, oh my god, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I remember him and I just sitting there. We were both just like sitting in chairs in his living room. Just like staring into dead air, just like, what the fuck just happened? But he found out that like she, she had a breakdown and like quit smoking weed and she like didn't recover from that interaction. It was just, it was like a psychic meltdown. But I blame her. She honestly, like, I wouldn't say she, she wasn't our kind of person or anything, but it seemed like a decent situation. It seemed, it seemed manageable until like she started dropping all the rap shit. Like until she started like talking about crunk. And I don't even know what that is, but I know that it was a turning point. Like the second you started hearing about crunk, that was the point of no return really. That was when I, I think I knew that the brain damage was permanent. I didn't know how permanent. I didn't know like how deep the brain damage went. I didn't know how damaged the brain tissue was of our people. Of our peoples. I didn't know how damaged the brain tissue was of our peoples until I heard about crunk. And I don't even know what that is. I truly, for the life of me, have no idea what that is in reference to. I have no idea what it means. I have no idea like what kind of music, what kind of subgenre it refers to. I don't know what it sounds like. 
but I know that the second I started hearing about Crunk, it was the point of no return, and the fact that she and that this was probably two thousand five or two thousand six, so that was when that stuff was current, and they're like this indie, lo-fi pop artist connected to K Records or something like that, Kill Rock Stars maybe. There are these longtime Olympia institutions that I don't know anything about, but obviously I know what they are. One of them's K Records, the other one's Kill Rock Stars. And uh, she was connected to that kind of stuff. And the fact that like she just launched into this crunk talk, like she's to blame for that for her own breakdown and like it was probably like like hanging out with us and trying to act that way we were just quiet but i'm sure it was like staring into her own asshole in the mirror or something it's like talking that way like imagine if we had talked that way back we're like oh yeah yeah girl Yo, that crunk shit. Oh, you on that crunk shit? That's funny. That's funny. That's so funny. I'm not saying I'm a good person. I'm not I'm not saying you know, I'm mean sometimes. Maybe some of what I'm saying here is mean and unfun. It probably is. But this shit is unacceptable. You know, and and I'm sure that, you know, hanging out with us and trying to act and talk that way, that will cause you to have a breakdown. Your words are just going to bounce right back at you. You're going to hear your voice in in a way you haven't heard before. You're going to hear yourself in a way you haven't heard yourself before if you talk that way in front of us. It's like hearing yourself through headphones or something. This is going to echo in your brain. But it, it was definitely... And this is years before Miles and I discussed like people revealing their rap sign. Oh yeah, dude, I play in a black metal... I play in a black metal band... But you know, you know what we like to listen to on tour in the van is a uh, rap. Um No thanks. No. You know, this is years before like we talked about like rap sided people, like people revealing their rap side. But that was certainly a moment, and I'm sure like when we later discussed it, that moment was probably deep in there somewhere where it's like oh yeah this this indie musician who lives next to my friend who came over to smoke weed with us she's got this like phony fucking crunk thing going on and it's like it's supposed to be funny but she won't stop <laughs> like it's supposed to be funny but she won't stop and it's become like part of her thing. Like it's become her persona. 
to be this like weird zany indie girl who also just like won't shut up about crunk um we can never we can never accept this like we can never accept this but that moment like it was probably like an early an early like rap side revelation what they call an early rap side revelation is just being like holy fuck can you believe this i remember her name and everything like i I remember her stage name which i think she just goes by i know she got fat like she wasn't fat at the time but i think she got fat and married a woman or something And I know she had a twin. She had a twin sister who made rap music, actually. Like, her music wasn't rap. Like, I'm sure she had a rap project. She was probably going to make rap music on his four-track if he hadn't taken it back. Oh, hey, come over tomorrow and, like, we're going to make a make music. I, I have this kid's four-track. This kid's four track. I've never heard something so disrespectful in my life. We heard her say that on the phone in the other room, and I think just a chill went up both of our spines. It was just like, no. Because we made music on that four track. We're not letting you fucking use that. He was doing the neighborly thing. Like, oh yeah, she's going to like smoke some weed with us. I'll let her borrow my four track. Then we hear her on the phone. I have this kid. I have this kid's four track. He's like your age, you know, he's like, he's an adult. He's like 22 years old, 23 years old. But uh, if Miles hadn't gone the next, like he woke up the next morning and just like marched over there and was just like, I want my four track back. If he hadn't done that, it's like she would have probably recorded a, a crunk parody album on that. But anyway, that wasn't her, her normal music, though, was just, I don't even know. It was just kind of like, yeah, it, it was just kind of pop. And, uh, but we, we found out, like, she had a twin sister who was a rapper. It's like, oh, that's perfect. And then she had a breakdown over that night or that day. It was, I think it was during the day. It wasn't like it was late at night. I think it was during the day. And she had a breakdown. And then like later we found out like she got fat and I think married a woman. We're to blame. We are to blame. But it, hey, at least we don't have a rap side. At least I don't have a rap side. Think about how much I would suck if I was like that. I'm not saying I don't suck now, but like thinking about the people who know me, like think about how much worse I would be if I was one of these guys who like would occasionally be like, yo, have you heard of us? We're mad murderous. Because I got my Rolex and my Rolls Royce. All the haters can't stand my voice. Because I tell them what is real. Like, imagine if I was into that crap. 
I would say just kill me now. Kill me. That would be my way. That would be a plea for help. Like if I suddenly was a rap-sided guy, but I was like, yo, I'm this way, but I bet you didn't think I'm this way. Crunk, baby. Yeah, when I'm in the car, like, it's got to be crunk, man. Yeah, yeah. Bet you didn't expect that, like, Eric is all in, hella into the crunk. It'd be a plea for help. It would be a plea for... I mean, it, it, I would be asking for assisted suicide. Like, please help. Help me just leave. I want to leave. <laughs> I want to... <laughs> help me leave. I'm, I'm trying to leave this planet. Like, I knew a guy in college. I, I've known so many people like this. Like, there was this guy, Buster. I was friends with... I, kind of friends with him in college. Like, we had a class together, and he would sell me weed. But he played drums in an indie band. See, like I said, this the reason why I was talking about artsy people is, like... So many indie rockers and people I've known were in, were like this. And indie rockers, all that is is a lib. But indie rockers are... Um, indie rockers are... No, indie rockers, like, for whatever reason, I was exposed to a lot of them who were into this shit and into this way of acting. And this guy, Buster played drums in some kind of indie rock band and sold me weed. I liked him. He was a smart guy. But he uh like he he got these tattoos. He got like these like rap joke tattoos. Like he got like the you know like the Tupac tattoo of like Tupac had like a, what was it like Thug Life tattooed across his belly in sort of a a half circle. Just that cliche tattoo. Like gang members get it with like old English. Tupac got thug life written. But like people started to do parodies of those. And I want to say that he got... What did he get tattooed? He got something like hug life or something. He got some kind of like Tupac parody tattoo across his stomach. Which like if you're getting a rap joke tattoo... Like, that wouldn't even be a plea for help for me. That would be just, like, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow, guys. Like, I got a rap joke tattooed on me. Guys, I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. Like, please, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to signal to you guys that, like, I'm going to kill myself. And then he got a tattoo. We went over to his house once to get weed. And he had gotten a tattoo of a teddy bear on his pec muscle. And underneath it or above it, it said, Can a teddy bear get his dick sucked? And But it, that kind of had a rap tone to it as well. I mean, I don't, I don't know what that's riffing on or if he just made it up, what it is. But like, can a teddy bear get his dick sucked? Yo, yo, can a teddy bear get his dick suck? Yo, yo, can a teddy bear get his dick suck? Um, 
yeah, it's like that's sort of a rat has a rap sided tone to it as well. And Miles was with me, and I remember Miles like just said to him, he's like, "Are you gonna kill yourself?" Like when he got that, because he first he got this like hug life. I think it said hug life. It was some sort of parody, which a bunch of people have gotten, like the stomach tattoo, rap tattoo, like. A, a bunch of people have gotten like joke versions of that but he got that and I think it said hug life but then like when he showed us the kind of teddy bear get his dick suck tattoo Miles just point blank said like are you going to kill yourself and, and it was it was like serious because I mean for the same reasons I'm saying like if I got a rap joke tattooed on me like that would actually be a, a signal that'd be like a giant bat signal just saying like to all my friends and family, like, be very worried about my future because I'm I'm planning to kill myself. So Miles was like, "Are you gonna kill yourself?" And he was like, "What do you mean?" Which was an even crazier response. Because if someone, if I got a tattoo like that and somebody asked me, like, "Are you gonna kill yourself?" I'd be like, "Oh no, I totally get why you're asking that." But no. But he he was confused. He was like, "What do you mean?" It's like, what do you think he means? It's like, you just got that tattooed on you. But anyway, I, I need to go to bed. It's my off day tomorrow. My one off day of the week. I've officially worked two months straight of these hours, six day weeks. But can I tell you, tell you Brigade Dixon? But yeah, just the the rap brain disease. It's you know what it's like. It's kind of like um, what's the cat the cat shit disease? What's the disease that people get when they? It's like the brain infection people get. Plastotosmosis, plas, plas, plastotoxmosis, whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's like where people like get these brain parasites from litter boxes that makes them obsessed with cats and crazy. Toxoplasmosis. It's called toxoplasmosis. Like rap is the real toxoplasmosis. That's how I feel. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.